Live at Bailiwick inside of the Orleans, it's Cofield and Company. Five o'clock hours here, you heard it. Orleans, we're watching hockey. All the board properties, official home of Lotus Broadcasting during the night's playoff run. The run continues. Puck drop in a little over an hour over at the Fortress. We got Adam Candy here. It's Cofield. Ari is back in our Finley Toyota Studios. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five. Number five. We'll do it live. We'll do it live. Rolling live video right now. Follow us. Up on Twitter with the video and Facebook and Twitch and YouTube. It's a fun watch, and Adam Candy looks very good today. Just put a hat on, enjoying that. Ari, eh, we'll see. We'll see what sort of uh, energy he brings to this 5 o'clock hour. Man, the energy around Rob Manfred ain't good right now. Candy, I don't know what the hell happened with the way they handled this sticky stuff with the pitchers, but it seems like... Another case where Manfred is just making decisions on the fly or was trying to cover something up and now got called on the carpet. So they're going to start enforcing something. It sounds like penalties with no teeth. If you still get paid as a pitcher, if you're caught, you get a 10-game suspension, but you still get paid. And now Tyler Glassnow, one of the you know real good young pitchers in baseball, is hurt, and he's pointing at Manfred going, hey, you guys screwed me over. And even if Tyler Glassnow isn't 100% right about – what the effect of having to change things was on him, he is absolutely 100% right on the fact that you don't change the rules midstream like this. You don't ask pitchers to figure it out midstream. This is not a new problem. This is not something you just discovered. What you only just discovered was a Sports Illustrated article the better part of a month ago that called you out on the fact that you've been ignoring this problem that's been in plain sight for multiple decades in baseball, but now here we go. Ten game suspensions, and I think the real teeth of those suspensions is that the team can't replace that player on the roster. So essentially, you're leaving your team shorthanded for that ten days that you would be suspended if you're caught okay. using the illegal substances. But if you're Tyler Glass now, and you've had a breakout season, really, it's it's him and Garrett Cole and maybe Carlos Verdon at the top of the list in the American League this year. And now you have a partially torn UCL. Same thing that Masahiro Tanaka dealt with for years, the sort of thing that could blow up at any time and force him to miss a year and a half with Tommy John surgery just when it seemed like his career was really ready to take off as the ace of a team leading the American League East. And Tyler Glasnow called out Rod Manfred exactly the way he should and said, this is ridiculous. And he believes that his injury was caused by the change in being able to use the sticky substances. Is he right or wrong? Go ahead and try to prove it. Go ahead and try to prove anything in terms of what this means to a player's health. The point of the matter is it's in their heads. And if a pitcher who knows his mechanics better than anybody else, right, pitchers are more in tune with their body when it comes to the biomechanics of how they throw the ball in 2021 than they ever have been before. If you ask them to change something when they haven't had the opportunity to plot it out, to work with the technology, to figure out how to change everything about how they throw the ball, then something in their head might be changing how they throw the ball. That's what Tyler Glass now has to fall back on, and that's why it's ridiculous that Manfred's doing this in the middle of the year. Number four. We'll get you updated in a couple minutes on the uh, Montreal Canadiens and 
their myriad of injuries and who will be available and who won't tonight. Now, speaking of a lack of availability, man, the NBA is in the soup. Such news this morning. First of all, Chris Paul out indefinitely placed by the NBA into a health and safety protocol hell. What is going on here? Uh, does he have COVID? Was he exposed? Does any of it matter if he's exposed? If he's already fully vaccinated, according to Jalen Rose, saying that Chris Paul is fully vaccinated, what's the deal? The NBA changed its protocols back in March. As the vaccines were getting more and more widely distributed, essentially the NBA said, look, it's not an automatic 10 days, two weeks, whatever it is for having to wait until the symptoms go away. Essentially, if you're vaccinated, they accounted for the fact that if you test negative a couple times in 24 hours, you can come back. So we don't know at this point. We don't know if Chris Paul tested negative. We know that the NBA's protocol still says that if you test positive, that you have to be put into the protocol, and then you can test your way out of it if you're vaccinated. But we're all going to jump to the conclusion, right? And we saw this already on Twitter with people commenting on Shams and whoever else broke the news of Chris Paul being out, saying, well, he should have gotten vaccinated. We don't know whether he did or not, so stop. Stop. But the Phoenix Suns, of course, they have a little bit of reprieve here, right, Steve? Like, they get a little bit of break because we know that they have to wait for that Clippers-Jazz series to go at least six games. And, of course, here we are at the Clippers-Jazz having to deal with Kawhi Leonard being out there. Number three. That is big news today, Kawhi Leonard, as if Chris Paul wasn't a big enough blow to the NBA. Kawhi Leonard, if you watched the last game, came down awkwardly on his knee after the game. It was interesting. Rebecca Harlow, the Southern reporter, did the whole interview and then tried to ask Kawhi about his injury, if it would be a problem moving forward. He answered curtly and then stormed off. Apparently, it's a problem. And maybe he knew that at that moment. It was just kind of pissed about the whole situation. Knee sprain, some are saying, hey, it could be a tear of the ACL. This is unreal. The bad luck with the injuries continues with some of the biggest stars around the NBA. Or is it bad luck? And if we're going to talk about Tyler Glass now and the partially torn UCL, same thing, right? Sprained UCL, sprained ACL for Kawhi Leonard. So we know that there is a tear. We don't know if it's a complete tear. But in the end, we're left with the same situation here in the NBA. Whether it was Jamal Murray or Donovan Mitchell or Joel Embiid or Bradley Beal or Russell Westbrook or LeBron James or Anthony Davis or Kawhi Leonard or on and on and on we go. And we didn't even get to James Harden and Kyrie Irving in that list. So LeBron James today called it all out and said, hey, uh, I told you all this was going to happen. I told you all playing a compressed season was going to lead to all these injuries. And you know why I know? Because I'm LeBron, and I take care of my body. And guess what? He fell hmm. into it, too. Yep. Yeah, he tweeted earlier, uh, they all didn't want to listen to me at the start of the season. LeBron said, I knew exactly what would happen. I only wanted to protect the well-being of the players, which ultimately is the, in caps, product and benefit of our game. Uh, I'm sure this will be greeted with, shut up, LeBron, you're a pansy, and the rest of the players are pansies. I mean, they'll be greeted with, shut up, LeBron, you're not in the playoffs anymore. Well, yeah, you're, you're not in the playoffs because Anthony Davis got hurt and LeBron and LeBron James got hurt, and, and here we are. I mean, we're kind of at the point, Cofield, where it just feels like at some point they're going to find what's the healthy team left, the Hawks? It's going to award – give, wow. Haw- give the Hawks a championship. I was, talking about, I was talking about playing the lottery ticket for on the title odds board. 
Uh, when I was looking earlier to, you know, roll the dice on the Kawhi injury, it's probably it's probably a bad bet. But they were nine to one to win the title. Uh, notice that the Hawks, I think, were at fifty to one. I mean, is it? I for a couple of seconds, I'm like, yeah, I mean, it is pretty wide open, especially with all the injuries, and now you got this COVID mess with CP3. Joel Embiid went 0 for 12 in the second half of game four, and that series is tied at two. And the Nets, I mean, Harden was a shell of himself. Kyrie probably is coming back. Yeah, I'm going to favor Kevin Durant by himself against Trey Young by himself, but is it impossible for the Hawks to win their way through? No, not at all. And who knows what's going to be left over on the other side because Mike Conley's hurt and Chris Paul's out and Kawhi Leonard is hurt. And we have no idea who's going to be available for any team right now, pretty much except the Hawks. Number two. Bucks last night looked super comfortable, playing pretty good basketball, up 16, 17. Although the TNT crew led by Charles Barkley was like, uh, this is even a little too close for the way the Nets are playing. The Bucks should be up a lot bigger. And then the Bucks fell apart in the second half. Their narrative here for you is what? The Bucks blew it, or they went up against a guy who is the best offensive player in the game, and he just had one of those nights, Kevin Durant with 49 points, 17 rebounds, and 10 assists. Uh, I'm going to be the little girl from the old Taco commercial and say, why not both? Uh, because it really is a story of both of those things. If the Hawks do what they're supposed to do, if they keep putting the basketball into the basket – then Kevin Durant can score 59 points, and it doesn't matter because the offense fell to shreds for the Milwaukee Bucks. You had Robin Lopez driving and putting up floaters. Did I call him Robin Lopez? Did I do it again? I, I, if the day I figure out the the day I figure out the Lopez brothers will be uh, a cold day in hell. But you had Lopez driving in, putting up floaters. You had Giannis dropping passes. You had Milton shooting the ball on turnarounds. You had fadeaway jumpers against James Harden on defense, and then Giannis can't make a free throw. So if they take care of what they have to at the offensive end of the floor, then Kevin Durant doesn't matter. He has a great performance, but we're not talking about the Hawks collab- or excuse, the Bucks collapsing again. Number one. All right, the big game's on tap. About 55 minutes away from puck drop. I think a lot of us including some of us in the media, are looking at the Canadians like, eh, not much of a matchup here. But you gave us a couple of reasons that the Golden Knights better be on point tonight because 1-1 in this series ain't a good thing when you're heading to the unknown, and this is real travel now, and it's going to be bubble travel once you get to Montreal. That's the thing, Steve. I'm not talking about any of the particular things that the Golden Knights might have to go through as, oh, no, will they be able to handle going back into a bubble in Canada? Well, yeah, they probably will, but you're now starting to introduce the variables, right? You're now starting to talk about, huh, well, what happens if it is 1-1 and they go up there and now there are 4,500 fans in Montreal and they get into a tough environment and Carey Price gets in their heads and here we go again, right? Then we're talking about the Golden Knights of old where they play great hockey and yet they're not getting the results. The other thing I would say is that what we've talked about with Montreal prior to the series, they had won seven straight games. They had been one of the best puck possession teams in the league all year long. They were a team that played a lot like the Golden Knights in the playoffs. That was Canadians in the regular season. A lot of great numbers that weren't turning into wins. Well, Carey Price is healthy. 
And the Canadiens showed early in the game that they have the ability to play with the Golden Knights in stretches, but they made far too many mistakes. And the Golden Knights, as Brian Blessing talked about earlier, ran a couple of great set plays off faceoffs, and Montreal has very little margin for error. But Carey Price in goal gives you margin for error. The Golden Knights just have to take care of their business because if you open the door a little bit for Montreal, you give them some momentum going home. When you have to make that long trip up to Montreal and go into that bubble, you start to get more into that playoff crapshoot that we know hockey really is. Aside from what Price can do, and we know goalies, especially top goalies, can take over series, who else do you see on the Canadians that, eh, fear is a strong word, but you look at them and you're like, that dude's dangerous. Well, I think the Golden Knights know well what Tyler Toffoli can do because they saw it last year in the bubble. Tyler Toffoli is a top-flight goal scorer, just didn't play uh, as much this year because of injury. And I think the Golden Knights can look right down to their first-ever draft pick with Nick Suzuki and say, this is a guy who can put the puck in the net. And then your cousin, Cole Caulfield. Cole Caulfield looked really good. Uh, in getting that goal for Montreal, he has added a dimension to that offense that they didn't have previously. That team has two very good top lines. They're just not as deep as the Golden Knights. Third line is where you really start to see the disparity kick in, especially with Alex Tuck on that line and Yanmark playing at a high level the way that he has. So there are guys that scare you. It's just that individually they scare you as opposed to the collective the Golden Knights throw at you. I feel like Brendan Gallagher who seems like the everyman, because I'm not sure he's 5'9". He appears to be a guy who could be a giant pain in the ass to flurry. Well, if we take anything from the less than 5'9 star that the Golden Knights have in Jonathan Marchessault, <laughs> who I think when they write his tombstone years from now, it will say Johnny pain in the ass Marchessault. Uh, maybe that's the roadmap. Yes. Yes. I love the series. I want to see what Montreal can do. Don't want to judge it on one game. Certainly don't, uh, or you didn't want to judge the last series on one game, right? Because a lot of people made that mistake in saying the uh, the Avs were going to freaking roll VGK. Things can change quickly. It all starts tonight. We'll see if uh, the Knights can come out stronger, get off to a better start, and can be as dominating as they were, especially on defense uh, throughout game two. It's over at the Fortress coming up on Fox Sports Las Vegas, 1340 and 98.9 FM. We'll come back in about uh, 10 minutes. We're going to talk to one of the media members from uh, Montreal and get the breakdown of the Canadian side and also an update. Actually, should I just read? Should I give you the update? You should. Should we try right some French again? Right now. Was my French pretty good in the 4 o'clock hour? Sure. Yeah, if you if you feel that way. Mm. Okay. I'm, no, I was asking. I was asking. I went to break. Oui? I spoke a little French. We. Oui? Okay. That's. Uh, I like that. Uh, let's see. Des membres de la famille de Jeff Petrie sont venus le voir jour ce soir. I think it's ce soir. Uh, we emphasize sur leur what major. Anyway, uh, actually, a tweet was out. Members of Jeff Petrie's family came to watch him play tonight. Yes, emphasis on the word play. Wouldn't that help the Canadians? It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. Now, back to Cofield and Company. They go New York, go New York, go! 
Durant había desaparecido después del primer cuarto, anotando Kevin Durant. 31 puntos para él, solo ha fallado cuatro tiros en todo el encuentro. Beautiful. My Nets, New York's team. Sorry, Candy. Song is officially stolen from your New York Knicks. You're not feeling it, huh? That's okay. We haven't used it since, like, 94. I think the copyright expired. It's all yours. Oh, they were using it. They were using it. Uh-huh. Things are very bright for the Knicks. Things James Dolan is right at the, the Knicks. His, Jimmy Dolan is right at the ship. Jimmy Dolan can't get near the ship right now. That's why things are going all right. It's funny how that works, right? Uh, if uh, folks who follow the Yankees over the years, uh, Yankees only turned the corner in the uh, mid and late 90s because George was sent away by baseball, and the baseball people were like, yeah, we're not going to trade away the core of what could be 15 years of success because there's no doubt in my mind that George would have traded Bernie Williams or Andy Pettit or Mariano Rivera or even Jeter and blown the whole thing because of his impatience. Um, hey, he, all still, he almost traded Jeter anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean – uh, George was crazy, but at least he was trying to win. I'm not sure of what Dolan's goals are. Uh, who knows? Um, on the game tonight and the rest of the series, is Carey Price good enough to go, you know, otherworldly and close the gap between these two teams? Because clearly there's a gap between the Knights and the Canadians. There absolutely is a gap between them. And I'm going to use a little bit of breaking news here as an example to – show what it means. So Jacob DeGrom uh, struck out first of the eight of the first nine batters for the Mets tonight, then walked off the mound with a sore shoulder. Oh, and no. I heard uh, – yeah, I saw the good start, and then there were MVP chance. He walked – really? That's just it. Jacob DeGrom, who had moved to about nine to one in some places for National League MVP after back-to-back Cy Youngs and going out there tonight with a .53 ERA – He's the guy who had transcended position to be an MVP. And that's exactly who Carey Price has been. You want to know how good Carey Price has been in the past? Carey Price won the Hart Trophy. Carey Price was the MVP of the league, not just the Vezina winner as the best goalie. <laughs> Carey Price can play at that level and has at many points in this playoff. But what the Vegas, what the Vegas Golden Knights did, and Brian Blessing referred to this, what the Vegas Golden Knights did was they put Carey Price in situations where nobody is stopping it. I mean, absolutely nobody. The pass from Shea Theodore that set up Alec Martinez, absolutely no one is getting that. Nick Holden pinching in and getting behind the defense and the pass going across the crease and getting put into the back of the net, that's not stoppable. And so if the Golden Knights continue to do the dirty work to make life difficult, and that dirty work, even on those set plays, that's winning the faceoffs. It's just winning your ozone draws. That's the dirty work that the Golden Knights can do to make life difficult on Carey Price and make it so that he doesn't have a chance to steal the game. The phone lines are open, and we want to hear from you. Call 702-364-1100 and tell us what's on your mind. La passe, Suzuki, à l'embouchure, dans l'enclave, le tir au travers, tire, compte, non, compte Je l'ai eu finalement Cole Caulfield, son premier en série, plus en avantage numérique. 
Now, back to Coalfield and Company, live at Bailiwick inside of the Orleans. Yeah, it's definitely Cofield and Company, not Coalfield and Company. We don't want to have any confusion with anything Montreal, anything J.J. Watt, anything Wisconsin. Right, Candy? No, no, definitely not. We would hate that. We would, that would be terrible. <laughs> Very sheepish. Very sheepish. All right, let's get a preview and the latest from the Montreal side on uh, Montreal Sports Radio. I don't know. I Do Do we trust RA on pronunciation here? This is a nightmare. Joey is up. Joey, I, I asked about your last name, and I think Ari botched it. Go ahead. Give it to us. Alfieri. Alfieri. Yeah. No, you said, Ari, don't celebrate. You said Alfieri. <laughs> you said Alfieri down during the, during the break. You're a nightmare. I'll give you that one. Okay. Uh, what's, up? What, what's up, Joey? <laughs> yeah, no, man. I'm looking forward to game two. I'm, uh, you know what? I'm even more than looking forward to game two. I'm looking forward to the pregame warm-up because I want to find out if Jeff oh. Petrie's playing in this game or not. Yeah, I actually, I've been trying to speak a lot of French on the show today. Uh, <laughs> my French three is flopping from some 35 years ago. Uh, someone did send out a picture of Petrie's family out front and saying that, that they were there to watch him play. So I have no idea if that's some sort of snitch on this whole thing. Um, let's talk about him playing and why that matters so much. Yeah, well, I mean, he, he's there he's their best defenseman. He was their best defenseman for most of the year. He got off to a really, really good start. He was even, you know, he was in the Norris Trophy conversation early on, and then uh, his play kind of dipped right as the Canadians play dipped, and um, he, he was able to get the season uh, back on the rails, but, you know, he's a big guy. Uh, he can throw his weight around a little bit, but in terms of, you know, what he brings uh, to stability in his own end, in terms of, uh, you know, moving the puck as well, He's a good puck mover, can make a difference on the power play. He's just their most complete, well-rounded defenseman. And frankly, I mean, I I really don't think they can win the series if he's not back uh, very soon. Uh, So it's really important for him to to be there. And and not just that, but he's got to be healthy. He's got to be able to do the things that he does because it was a freak accident. I mean, he got his uh, his pinky finger, the two last fingers on his right hand stuck into the camera holes and along the glass, and it was just... uh, it didn't look right, and uh, he hasn't played since. So uh, hopefully he can go, and if he can, I think Canes have a shot. You know, watching game one, there were moments for Montreal. I mean, the first 10 minutes especially, the power play was very effective in getting that goal. I mean, you, you could see that it's there, but what do you see in game two that the Canadians have to do differently from what they did in game one? Yeah, well, you know, I, I think – it's it's key like to get off to the good start. I know it's obvious, but this is a team that needs to score the first goal because they tend to struggle when they're they have to open up and they're trailing. It's just that it's been that way all season long. So getting the first goal is going to be key. And like you said, I, I really like their start in game one. I thought the first fifteen minutes, even after you know the moments right after the Theodore goal, I thought they were you know they were still in it. Uh, but I thought the, the Theodore goal. Uh, kind of changed everything, kind of woke Vegas up. And I think what you need to avoid is also taking all those penalties that you took at the beginning of the second period. Canadians are not a top-heavy team. They don't have one forward uh, who can, you know, break the game wide open. You know, they do it by committee. So if a bunch of your players aren't playing or they're stapled to the bench because they don't play special teams and they don't kill penalties um, and you have to kill penalty after penalty after penalty, you know, it kind of breaks up the flow of their game, too. So 
Look, I give credit to Vegas. I thought over the last 45-plus minutes, they played their game. They were really, really good. But, you know, I, I do think for Montreal to be successful, you're going to have to see a lot of those things you saw early on. It's a lot of pucks to the net. You know, a lot of uh, putting the pucks in in, uh, in Fleury's pads and his feet, trying to poke one home. I mean, it's not going to be pretty, but I feel like if you get the first goal, it's really tough to break uh, what Montreal does defensively when they're, uh, when they're up a goal. 4-1 the final in that game. There obviously were many moments where it felt like a closer game. What was the reaction of the Montreal fans that you spoke with? Is this a fan base that was going to be measured about, okay, well, it's one game, or was the sky falling after game one? No, I mean, look, you always, in this city, when it comes to the Canadians, you're always going to have the skies falling people. Like, that's just no matter what happens. Like, you can lose a game to Florida in February, and people are going to think the sky's falling. So there was definitely some of that. I think most people, you know, coming into the series, I think they were pleasantly surprised that the Canadians were here. And I think everyone kind of realizes that even the most optimistic of people realize that a lot is going to have to go right for Montreal to win this series because Vegas is clearly... Uh, the superior team, and they have more high-end talent. Uh, they're better along, uh, you know, on the, on the blue line. So I think most people realize that this was not going to be easy. Even the people that picked the Canadians to win the series figured, you know, that Vegas would really give them a run for their money. But you know, I don't think I think most of the most of the fans kind of expected that. You know, it, it would be coming back to Montreal. Best case scenario would be a split one-one. So there's still some work for the Canadians to do before that can happen. But I think, for the most part, the educated fan isn't hitting the panic button just yet. And maybe for folks in Vegas who are not as familiar, can we explain a little bit of why this series could have a bit of a found money feel to it, right? Where it's not just that this team might be in some ways a little ahead of schedule and a rebuild, et cetera, et cetera. What did it mean to Canadians fans to come back from a 3-1 down against Toronto? Yeah, look, I, I think you, you have to you have to put the whole season into perspective, right? Like the first ten games of the year, like the Canes were flying. It, it looked like you know they weren't going to lose very many games. Uh, they were getting contributions from top to bottom. I mentioned before, Jeff Petrie was unbelievable. Nick Suzuki was a point of game player. Like everything that could have gone right in the first ten to twelve games went right, and then the season just took an out of nowhere. Just took a nosedive. It wasn't injuries. It wasn't anything like that. But their play dipped, and at one point it just it didn't look like they were going to be able to get it back on the rails. And I think you know the playoff spot wasn't ever really in jeopardy uh, because of you know the, the the lack of strength at the bottom of the North Division. But still, people were like, hey, you know, their Canes are going to back into the playoffs, and that's exactly what they did. They fired the head coach, they fired the associate coach, they fired the goalie coach. So it seemed at the time like it was a desperation move, and. You know, they had a bout with COVID. One of their players, Yoel Armia, had COVID, so they were off the ice for uh, for like eight to ten days. And then when they did come back, the schedule was super condensed, and they had no practice time. They, the, the games were kind of piling up, and they just looked like they were out of gas. And then they had scored four goals in the first four games of that Toronto series. Two of them came in game one, which Montreal won. And everyone after four games thought, you know, Montreal was dead. And they came back, they found a way, a couple of overtime games uh, that they were able to pull off, and they forced the game seven. And even then, I think people were excited that they pushed it to seven. And then, you know, once they won that, swept the Jets, you know, I think everyone kind of looked around and said, okay, the general manager, Mark Bergevin, is on, uh, he's on the last year of his contract next year, so it kind of looks like he'll be back. 
Dominic Ducharme, the head coach, is an interim coach. So, you know, maybe they shed that tag. So I just I think it was all unexpected, uh, but unexpected as of, like, you know, the beginning of March, because I think early February, everyone kind of, January, February, everyone thought this team was going to do great things. But then the expectations, like I said before, they just they came crashing down. And uh, here we are uh, in the conference finals, and, you know, they're four games away from going to Stanley Cup final. Game two on the way over at the Fortress. We're talking uh, Montreal hockey with uh, Dude on Montreal Sports Radio, TSN 690, <laughs> Joey Alfieri. Um, do Montreal Canadian fans care about Pacioretty anymore, and how do they view the swap uh, in getting Suzuki? Yeah, I think everyone's kind of realizes that it was, a, it was a win-win. You know, it's one of those few trades where I do think that Vegas paid a premium uh, dollar for, for Pacioretty, but, you know, a guy who can move like that and a guy who can – a score like he can. They just they don't grow on trees. So I, I think it was obvious at the time what the Golden Knights were getting. Uh, but with Nick Suzuki, I think everyone was kind of excited about the return. But then once they saw him play and he became a full-time member of the team last year, then they got really excited. So I think with everybody, everyone kind of had the same reaction. It's not like they care uh, that Max Pacioretty is playing the Canadians, you know, former captain. I think Everyone right away said, you know, based on his track record here, uh, you got to be physical. You know, they wa- everyone wanted, you know, the Canadians, the, the blue line, Shea Weber has to rough up Max Pacioretty. That's how you get him <laughs> off his game. So that's what the Pacioretty chatter has been uh, more than, oh, we hate Max Pacioretty or anything like that. The fan base, like I said, the, the educated fan appreciates what Max Pacioretty did here. And um, there wasn't much talent around Max Pacioretty when he was here. Didn't play with, uh, you know, a legit number one center or anybody close to the talent level that Mark Stone has. So uh, I think everyone's kind of happy for Max with the way it played out because it didn't end well uh, in Montreal. But uh, he's a really good player. And I think, you know, obviously having the Canadians go to the Stanley Cup final would be great. But I do think there's a a large portion of the fan base here that would uh, be happy for Max Pacioretty if he wins the Stanley Cup this year. Last one because we know you got to work the game tonight. Uh, Across Canada, give us a feel because obviously it's it's not some monolith where and you know in the U.S. Uh, you know we're not rooting for U.S. teams just because they're in the U.S. What, yeah. what is the vibe? I mean, it's been such a drought for uh, Canadian teams in general uh, when it comes to the Stanley Cup. Like, are people outside of Quebec rooting for Montreal? Is it just like, yeah, they're in, but we still hate them? Yeah, I, I don't know. I guess if you ask Maple Leaf fans, probably not. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> you know, the Canadians have a loyal. They have a really loyal following across Canada, and like winning all those Stanley Cups in the '60s and '70s will do that. Um, but you know, I don't know. Like, there, there's all this talk about our oh, Canadian Canada's team, or when there's you know every time there's there's one team left from Canada, are they Canada's team? I I don't know. I just kind of I don't really see it that way. I, I think you know there there are some people that want a Canadian team to win the Stanley Cup because it hasn't happened, like you said, since the Canadians won the Cup in 1993. And since then, I mean, only Vancouver's made the Stanley Cup final in 94 and 2011, and they lost both times. So it is a large, you know, it's a significant drought uh, that the Canadian teams are going through. But I guess it's normal when you have, you know, the amount of Canadian teams you do versus American teams. But I don't know. I don't know that they're Canada's team. I just think they have a really large following across Canada. And I feel like those people are rooting for the Canadians, not so much like a Senators fan or a Leafs fan or an Oilers fan. I just I don't see it that way. Joey, thanks, man. That was a great spot. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. There he is. Montreal Sports Radio uh, dude, TSN 690, Joey Alferi. It's Candy. It's Cofield. Ari with a nice booking there. I always feel like a moron when we talk about 
uh, Canadian sports, then I'm not talking Montreal Canadian, but just in general, like it's always this fact-finding mission. And that's why I hesitate on asking a question like, yeah, is Vancouver, are they all rooting for Montreal? It's weird, isn't it? It is, especially when you factor in Quebec being you know, a, a different province overall when it comes to Florida, uh, to Canada. I had Florida <laughs> in my head. No, no, I had Florida in my head because is where I was going next with this whole thing. It was like, are you going to talk know, Texas, Florida? Yeah, I was going to be like, uh, yeah. Don't tell me that if uh, you know that if the Dolphins make it to the World Super Bowl, that everybody in Texas is like, go Dolphins! Like, no. Have you been to Montreal? I have not. Really? It's a crazy place. It's cool, but it is different. You uh, you definitely feel like you're in at times. In well, I was going to say another country. You are, but obviously the rest of the rest of Canada, you, you, you sort of you know it doesn't feel that much different than the U.S. But Montreal definitely has a a European feel, and obviously you know it's majority French speaking. But there's a different vibe there, and it, it seems older. It seems more historic. Much like the hockey team that is playing in 20 minutes here, much old, much older, much more historic. You don't yes. get. Much better than that when it comes to the age and uh, the you know of the league versus the new kid on the block. Okay, so you were going there. You were going there on the the tradition of the Vegas Golden Knights, a tradition hated by seemingly everyone across North America. We're about twenty five minutes away from puck drop. We'll get you ready. Also, got to get a couple of notes out there from the NBA and also that weird press conference yesterday for a fight. Uh, that's going to be, I think, a big deal here, but I, I don't know that Deontay Wilder is helping the cause of the fight in general. The show never ends. Watch the Cofield and Company Late Night Pod tonight at 9 o'clock on YouTube or at Steve Cofield on Twitter. Cofield and Company presents... Grab Bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Stick your hand in there, Dave. NBA update, Adam Candy. MVP, MVP, MVP. Man, people getting down on Joel Embiid after, you know, an inefficient 17 and 21 in game four of the series between the Sixers and the Hawks. Well, he's bounced back. They're up. The Sixers are 56 to 32. With three minutes left in the half, and Embiid has raced out to a uh, 22.8 rebound start to the game, eight of ten from the floor. Wow! Honest to God, if you're out here dragging Joel Embiid for anything in this series, you need to shut your fat yap and realize that he's playing through something that I guarantee you would not even try to get on the court and go with. Wow! Bold talk from Adam Candy. Fat yap, I'm hungry. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Let's not curse on the air. Fat yap. Energy vampire. Not oh, there. No. Oh, no, no. Not there. Uh, we're hanging out at Bailiwick. Come on down here. Watch the game. Puck drop in just a little bit. Uh, line rushes, Candy. Golden Knight line rushes. Uh, we got some breaking news. This ain't good. No, I would say having no clue that your first line center wasn't going to play is certainly a problem. Chandler Stevenson apparently, 
not in the lineup for the Golden Knights tonight, according to what the reporters in the arena are seeing. Nick Waugh bumped up to the first line. King Kolasar bumped from the fourth to the third. And Patrick Brown into the lineup on the fourth line. No word on what's wrong. If it's an injury, if it's one, another, could it be another one of these COVID test situations? We don't know. Oh, uh, no. Reporters I don't have any information on this yet because there was no word from morning skate today that Chandler Stevenson was anything less than a go. I hear a tinge of frustration, annoyance. You cover a lot of gambling. You cover that world at LegalSportsReport.com. Does this get stuck in your craw when we talk about NHL partnerships with books, embracing sports betting, talk of integrity fees, when we don't get information like this until minutes before the game? This is changing the game significantly. You're taking one of the Golden Knights' top six forwards out of the lineup, and we already talked earlier with Brian Blessing about the fact that the Golden Knights might have been favored by too much in the first place just based on who Montreal is. So, yes, when you look down on the ice, if you're watching the game tonight, look down in one of the four corners of the ice, and you will see an ad for Betway Sportsbook that is on every NHL arena in the playoffs because it's a national sponsorship. If you look around the boards at the Golden Knights game tonight, you will see BetMGM. You will see William Hill. You will see FanDuel Sportsbook. You will see the, the NHL gladly accepting money from sportsbooks and then being by far the least forthcoming of the four major professional sports leagues about what injuries are. They're the ones who pioneered this crap about upper body and lower body injury and the fact that we never have any idea what's going on. I mean, we drag the Golden Knights on this show for not being forthcoming, rightfully, but the NHL in general isn't much better, and now we get one of the Golden Knights' best players just randomly popping up before the game out. Why doesn't the NFL go back to doing this? Why is the why is the NFL so big into their injury reports? We've always heard, oh, it's because of sports gambling. Why not just do what the NHL does? A lot more money on the line for the NFL, and they also know what gambling means to them. The NFL might never acknowledge it. They might finally now, maybe, since they signed three different sports betting partners <laughs> right. for the upcoming year, maybe they'll be willing to acknowledge it now. But the NFL knows damn well what those injury reports are all about. Those injury reports are all about gambling. And the fact that we don't have one in certain places, like in the NHL, especially in college football, uh, all of those things lead to situations like this, which are not about opportunity. They're about denying people the chance to be able to wager smartly on these games, and the leagues are now making money off all this. So I'm guessing the only way this would change is if some of these partners or power broker sports books around the country are like, you're screwing us over. We can't manage the action when we don't know, or do they know? Do they know before isn't we the, do? And isn't the perception problem really the main issue here in the end? Isn't yeah. the issue that could someone reasonably come out tonight and say, well, I mean, the league clearly would benefit more uh, if Montreal were taking more of the money, right? Right? If Mo Anyway. No, but this is something we talked about a few years ago. When you go the next level and you've got leagues and teams tied into books, then that's where the perception problem really comes in. That is. And, think and, about then, and, then, and then, we can, then we can go next level and go, hey, there's a review. Huh? There's a replay. And listen, I'm not saying that. 
but we know there's a lot of conspiratorial people out there who watch sports and they're like, hey, I believe a lot of this is fixed. I don't agree, but I can't blame them. When I don't see, agree either. When we see this nonsense with a lack of information. It's, it's a perception problem, and it's only going to get worse. Look at what's going to happen next door to us in Arizona in the coming years. They just legalized sports betting in Arizona. It's going to start by fall. You're going to have a sports book, a FanDuel sports book, inside the Phoenix Suns Arena. You're also going to have Caesars having a huge presence inside Chase Field right across the street. And you know the Cardinals will have some version of it by the time it comes around because they've had a huge sponsorship with Gila River Casino for years. So ultimately, if these teams are featuring a sports book inside the arena, even if they have nothing to do with operating it, the perception is that they can benefit from not only what happens in the game, but what happens in little pieces along the game, too. Who wins each quarter? Which player scores however many points, et cetera, et cetera. Stick your hand in there, Dave. So uh, let's go through what the lines are going to look like tonight. Uh, Pacioretty, Wah, Stone, Misfit Line, Marshy, Carlson, Smith, Janmark, Kolasar, okay, Tuck, and then uh, fourth line, Carrier, Patrick Brown is back. He of the Maras. Good conversation for down the road, your Giants. And Reeves. Anything worry you there? Not really, because the main goal in all of that is actually not that different than what the Golden Knights did during the regular season when they had to flip some of their lines around. Uh, they ultimately are trying to keep that number two line together. Um, they want to keep the Misfits from having to play anywhere else. That's the one line that has the most chemistry of all of them, and they know that when you put Max Pacioretty and Mark Stone on the wings, you just need someone to do the basics. And quite honestly, Nick Waugh has played pretty well for the Golden Knights in the playoffs. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Candy, I know you're not the biggest boxing guy, but I'm sure you're aware we got some big fights coming here and, you know, real fights with top fighters, not, uh, you know, Logan Paul and Mayweather. Fury Wilder 3 goes down at the Fortress on July 24th. It's a big fight they had. It's, a, you know, again, it's the third fight, and we're talking heavyweights here, and maybe if Fury wins, he's going to fight uh, Joshua. Of course, the Joshua camp saying yesterday that they don't believe that fight will ever happen. Yay, boxing. In terms of getting these matchups done, a weird deal yesterday, and I listen, as a media guy, I think it's stupid. I think it's immature. I think it's disrespectful to the people who showed up. Maybe it'll work in the promotion of the fight. I Maybe the fight doesn't need promotion, but it was weird yesterday. Wilder made an opening statement and then just sat there for the rest of the press conference, not saying a thing and just sitting there listening to music. I just Like I said, it just seems stupid and counterproductive, but I don't know. Maybe I'm too much in the fight bubble. At this point, if you want to try something that is counter-promotion as promotion, <laughs> basically going silent, why not? Why not do something different to get some attention? I saw it talked about plenty. I saw five-minute stare-down mentioned in a bunch of places. And I, I, I am a casual at best. So give it a shot. Stick your hand in there, Dave. I think Ari has a guest suggestion. Ari, you want to throw it out there? Ari was saying that uh, Jeopardy! James is now doing some writing for The Athletic. He's doing some gambling content. And uh, when Ari sent over a message earlier, he's like, yeah, we got to rebook him. Yeah, I think I'm... Uh Willing to well, he was never banned, but he was getting close to it. So why? Oh, because he uh, didn't respond, or well, actually, worse, he did respond to one of my emails, and then when we uh, circled back, he was nowhere to be found. Boy, if you, Candy, you know this. He's a meek individual, and he's terrified of everyone. Ari, and I mean that in a good way. 
Um, if you get on the wrong side of Ari, Jeopardy James, there could be hell to pay. And you may not be allowed on the show. How about that for a threat? Right? Don't leave Ari unread. He knows. <laughs> and he knows. Even if you think you've turned those red receipts off, Ari knows. It's instinctual. Which I still feel like, as an old guy, that Ari kept saying on red. And I didn't understand the color reference when he would mm, talk about yeah. getting I, ignored. I still don't know if it's unread or on red. On scene. How's that? I, I, I think I think there's obscene? probably some uh there's probably some fatal attraction I will not be ignored going on here with Ari. There you go. Get over to Fox Sports Las Vegas all night long. You're going to hear the play-by-play and, of course, uh, intermission and post with Ryan the Hockey Guy.